Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Marketing Roundtable. My name is Tatiana Kinney-Smith, and I work in design. I'm Rachel Rhodes, and I work in organic social media. And for today's episode, we actually have two guests, Braindew's principal, Brian Cosgrove, and expert Peter Song, if you would like to introduce yourselves. Um, Brian Cosgrove, and I work in analytic strategy. I've been doing it since 2004. Um, my name is Peter Song, and I've been in the analytics engineering uh, space for about eight years now. Yeah. All right. So welcome to the podcast, mm-hmm. Brian Cosgrove. This is your second time here. You're uh, mm-hmm. not your first time at the rodeo, one might say, but <laughs> it's going to go great. Um, promise. <laughs> and today we're actually with two analytics experts in the house diving deep into specifically A-B testing and what mm-hmm. that looks like for analytics. So let's just jump right into it. What is A-B testing in the world of analytics? Uh, What is A-B testing? So there's basically two types of tests. There is your typical A-B test where you're testing versus a control versus another experience. And then there are multivariate tests where you are comparing two or more different content sections on a page and testing that against one or more conversions. That should hopefully give you the most optimal uh, experience for the customer to create a conversion. Right. So I feel like that's like a loaded, it's exactly it. And and it's just like, I'm like, it's so loaded that I just wanna make sure for the audience that we cover a couple of things. So in this context, we're talking about like a website or an app. And we're talking about doing testing for the front end interface. So some mm-hmm. of you may know this as like conversion rate optimization or, you know, just general website optimization or user experience optimization. Mm-hmm. So there's a million different ways to spin it. But what we're trying to do is like tweak the design to make it effective, more effective, mm-hmm. easier to use, more user friendly, that kind of thing. So when we got into it, you know, what Peter was just saying about like A-B testing versus multivariate, mm-hmm. it's like how many things are we going to change? Are we just going to be like, it's either this design or that design? Or is it like this headline, but maybe with that picture, but then with Mm -hmm. this, like, you know. Yeah, like, right, maybe this design, but the CTA text might change, you know, like get started today versus, right, the call to action. Like get, (laughs) get sign up today versus like order now. Like what happens to be more effective and, Obviously, I'm a lot more, or I'm familiar with A-B testing from like the design standpoint, mostly like I've, I've done that stuff. But I mean, I'm aware that with A-B testing, like you track it and everything on the back end. But like, how do you really approach A-B testing from like the analytics side? So basically, um, you know, we first have a goal that we want to improve and optimize. Mm-hmm. And then we try and develop a testing program to ensure that what we're testing is going to get the user to interact with that said certain module to ensure that they're going to get towards the conversion that they're, uh, we're looking for them to do. Um, How could a like customer journey affect what you're testing for? Uh, so, you know, we're trying to optimize the customer journey. That's the right. main reason for A-B testing. Um, it's really to figure out the best path for the customer to take within a web property to get to the conversion as fast as possible. 
That was like such a like web. Like I just Googled that and that's what Google spit out. Like that definition, <laughs> that was like really good, I think. Also, like for some reason you said that, it almost reminded me of like those like flow chart quizzes for magazines where it's like mm. blah, 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 like this, this. And then you like you pick your path, but it's almost like you do those. But the one that the most people pick is the one that we kind of like move forward with. It's like this becomes the path because the most people chose that. It's like now the best performing. I think that's a great analogy. Um, yeah, just uh, to bring it back to some <laughs> magazine flowcharts. Um, one of my faves. They should they should bring those back. Um, sorry, print media. We're a digital marketing company. You know, in the print world, to do any kind of testing, you know, they do it a lot with like direct mail. They would try mm. like different kit pieces, or they try you know different things that they would send to people in different markets. And, you know, but you were restricted by the printing process. Like, mm -hmm. you could only print so many different versions of things. In magazines, occasionally they would do different covers and different markets, and they would test those really? out. So, like, there are different things that people would do to try to right. see what works. Ultimately, though, with digital, we can do it for every single, like, new user that comes to the site mm -hmm. or the app. We can serve a different experience. Right. Yeah. And so we can learn a lot faster. The and scale is so much like, deeper. Uh, cover you have the cover and that's your like sales point of sales or whatever that's yeah. like the end of your tracking i guess obviously with a website you can track all of it you can track yeah. you know all the different buttons all the different interactions and check all of those out to yeah like yeah as buttons said, pictures yeah, <laughs> colors shapes text sizes fonts you can test it all yeah it's so. a Fun time. Um, and I guess here, so this is something I actually don't really know about um, having, being someone who's, you know, worked in digital marketing and yeah. A-B testing before. How do you uh, personalize testing for different user groups? So on, you know, certain testing platforms, basically when you're setting up a test, you are setting up a test based off a certain audience. Mm -hmm. So it could be all visitors of your site, or it could be a segment of visitors. Um, this can also be another type of segment where you can look up something like uh, their past history visits, right, or past purchases, and you're trying to optimize that audience group, uh, you know, to interact and you know uh, convert on your website. Okay, so it sounds mm -hmm. like I feel like most of the A/B testing I've done it was only for like randomized people like fully right. random audience but what you're saying sounds to me almost like when you're targeting for paid media like you can create a separate experience for um people who are returning versus new um interesting that's really cool yeah yes i didn't know we could do that every kind of like <laughs> audience segmentation you can think of that's like behavioral based where we could you know, whether it's a cookie or there's just some other mm. way to kind of indicate like where they came from. So if you click through on an ad, like usually there's a signature of the ad that you clicked on that kind of comes through. So you could like put that on the homepage or whatever, or the page that they land on, the landing yeah. page. And they're, sitting there, they're like, oh, they were interested in this dress. Here's the dress for them yeah. to then get to quickly. Right. Mm. You Neat. can set up different audience types, right? So mm. you could say if a person visited the homepage and clicked on a certain link, then you enter them into this test experience. Yeah. Um, so. Is it possible to kind of 
siphon data into other sites. Like I've been couch shopping, so I've been going yeah. to a lot of furniture sites. Like could a different furniture site know that that's been my activity and like immediately try to promote couches? Not, a, not exactly. Okay. It's a little complicated because when that happens, the actual ads that are that you're seeing that are kind of following you around are being served from within containers from a service. That service knows that, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily directly communicate that to the website that you're okay. on. So the ads appear to be related to, to past stuff, mm -hmm. even though the website content itself, they can't. They okay. can't trigger that. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole separate. Yeah, thing. we did this whole like, this project play. on it one time with a lot of research. It was very intensive <laughs> and yeah, too much yeah. to unpack now. <laughs> um, I think what's what's probably more important though is just the direct click from another website or tap, mm -hmm. you know, in, in our mobile world. Um, we can see just, you know, where you came from or even where you landed and create sort of an audience concept. Now, when it comes to testing, you need a control and you need an experiment. Mm -hmm. So you need the group to be big enough to actually be able to get a good read, yeah, right? Sure. Like how many yeah. times, you know, do you have to flip a coin before you know whether there's a bias of, of one mm -hmm. way or the other? Um, so, you know, there's all these things around confidence intervals. There's a stats component to this, a math component to this that where you kind of need to, you need enough volume of mm -hmm. people in both the experiment and the, and the control to to be able to get a clean, clear read. Right. The other thing that you have to control for is variables like day of the week, mm. uh, you know, what period of the year is it? So yeah. if you're trying to make like a global assessment about what should be the kind of design we're running all the time, you kind of need to think through like, am I getting a right coverage? Am I getting enough information to be able to get a clear signal, a clear read, especially if the design changes are subtle? If they're huge, usually you can find out pretty quickly. What's an example of like a super subtle design change that might influence someone to make a different decision? It's mainly on, you know, what I've seen in my past is, you know, button text, mm -hmm. you know, simple mm -hmm. button text testing where, you know, versus a shop now text versus buy now, or, you know, learn more versus, you know, find out more. Um, they yeah. do sort of make small impacts, but, mm -hmm. you know, for me and my personal experience, I feel like they don't move the needle too much. Um, you know, I feel more ingrained to do more riskier tests that promote more impact. So you could clearly see that impact if it does help or improve. Um, so it's like a big risky yeah. thing you can test. Color. Um, really? I think so. Like. I would say the like whole design. Major, major, <laughs> like, we would be designing new components, right? So yeah. sometimes if they're trying to introduce a new component into the website, they want to test it against it first. So they're going to possibly just introduce this new component to say 50% of the traffic and see how it performs. Um, and that's pretty much how, you know, they sort of, it's, this could be a big component or a small component. Yeah. Right? Uh, I've done things where I've built full filter components for a shop page. And, you know, that was first tested against and then ultimately seeing that it performed well mm. um, against the control. And then that was brought over into the production site. Yeah. I, on like the kind of design visual and to give like a comparison, I think 
like for example the a spot which is what we usually call it but like the very top of the page where you land um, maybe testing a carousel slideshow with three different items that have different associated buttons versus like a three column with the button underneath each one that would be like a big difference and okay, then you're seeing okay. okay which one causes like the most clicks to which place mm -hmm. obviously the carousel you're placing something more up front before the others the three they're all there but they're equal like where do you want people to go how does that affect i do think color is like it just i mean if it's like a small place of color then it won't have as much impact sure. but it can have like a huge overall experience impact if it's like the background color maybe you switch it from like white to like super dark blue and then it's like yeah. ooh, the eye <laughs> goes right yeah, there but there's some um, common sense into yeah. changing the color right so you want somebody to move forward so you want might make that button green rather than red right, right it's just yeah. the psychological yeah. right there's like a real know, element strategy. of psychology yeah, right? yeah. Oh my God. there was yeah. one time we tested like a, a micro cta underneath the button so you had the button with the button text and then in very tiny text underneath it said like a little extra you know you had like the do it now and then like you'll like it like, <laughs> sort of thing just super small because yeah. it's supposed to be like subliminal messaging and that's like yeah a really subtle thing did um, that perform well it it wasn't um super move the needle in the way to compare it to what Peter said. Like, yeah. Even that example, like, I don't know how you would know if that if did that well or not, thing. because True. that's not an interactive item. If True. it's just text, this is where, yeah. you know, it was you need to sort of Right underneath the button. And it was like, we had, a, the control was it without that. Right. And yeah. then one with it. And it, there wasn't a big difference yeah. to how it performed. But so, um, yeah, yeah, that's where I say like, <laughs> you need to do riskier tests to get more impact sure. and also a better read on you know yeah. the experiences you're trying to do all those little nuances that you're trying to add you can might as well add them as long as you see that they don't hurt or affect mm. the performance of your site but I, low risk low reward maybe yeah yeah i mean it's an interesting thing because sometimes smaller looking things can have a big impact. For example, if it's like a positioning piece, you're like, I changed a couple of the order of some of the items in navigation mm -hmm. mm. and found out that just by putting this thing first, it made a drastic improvement in how many people go there, but it was buried. So your brain had to read too many things yeah, sure. to get, you know, a little bit lower. Or sometimes just bulleting things out that were kind of in like a block, like that mm. can make a big difference yeah. in how often they're read. I don't know if like, you know, I remember like the book Don't Make Me Think came out. It was kind of like a groundbreaking book around just design and UX early on. And if you look at it now, it's like all the examples are from like the 90s and like Amazon, why they did so well early on. Like it gives you kind of like a history of like UX and, and, and some of those pieces. But one thing I guess that I took away from looking and reading a lot of those kinds of books was just this idea that like, if you can just like, not look at a page, look at it, blink, and then close your eyes, and then do the same for a different page. You'd be surprised at like how you might draw an immediate visceral, like I'm drawn to this one, or I like this one more, mm. or something about this one speaks to me better yeah. than that one, or something about this one, it just rubs me the wrong way and I can't put it in words and it's subtle. And if you, you study it very closely, it's like, I can't figure out what's wrong with it. But you just kind of know there's like this immediate 
like thing. So there's kind of a, a piece to this where you want that like initial human reaction to it to mm. be positive. I think we like hit on a bunch of things there. I like next section, <laughs> <laughs> how do you establish a process for a test? Uh, just going back to the goals thing again, um, you know, you want to build a program, right? Um, first, you have a goal of, let's say I want to increase, you know, um, conversions for a specific page. You mm -hmm. want to be a little bit focused on what you're trying to improve. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to see small improvements and not being able to definitively yeah know what caused that impact it, or performance it impact. really feels like without a clear goal you could waste so much time <laughs> oh yeah i mean honestly it's one of those things where i feel like it's both underutilized and then misutilized are mm -hmm. like the two biggest problems and misutilized means you're putting all this energy into creating experiments where the hypothesis wasn't strong enough mm -hmm. or the focus or the goals weren't clear enough or the designs when they were put together don't have aren't connected to those two things you know it's like i have a hypothesis that this picture would be better than that one and you're like in what way to what end and what's yeah. what's the objective that you're going for right is it to keep people on the page longer and you just you know it's like what's your theory about how this picture is going to work better on that one mm -hmm. so when you're coming up with test ideas and you're going through that brainstorming session it really does take someone to critique kind of what's there, connect the dots between what better would be, get familiar mm -hmm. with the current rates that it's been, you know, that that's, and, and get really familiar with like the, the situation before they can say, okay, I can go with like five ideas on what might make that better. Mm -hmm. The other part too is like, people, you know, are familiar with content calendars when they're doing content production. like you need a test calendar for when you're doing this testing. And it's like, what sections of a website or an app do you wanna be changing at any given point in time? Cause you can't change everything all at once or you don't yeah. know what yeah. is working. So you have to prioritize it. You've got a limited amount of time where you've got enough audience to actually run a test. Mm -hmm. Right, well, I was just gonna follow up about that as you said you need like a big enough audience slash traffic slash sample size to get the data kind of confirmed as like what it was. Yes. So like say traffic slows down or something and then you don't have a big enough data set and then, but you have a schedule, like how do you kind of uh, get all those things together? So there's usually like a time frame of how long you're gonna run this test. And then you have that confidence level calculator that you sort of look at to see which ones is gaining the most confidence. But yeah, usually, you know, you run a test around a minimum of two weeks or it's all depending on okay. the volume that you're trying to collect. So it's around like maybe 20,000 hits would give you a good uh, view of, you know, of, of what the impact might be. Uh, within a certain experience. Would you end a test early if like 80% of users are definitely selecting one thing? Like there's a clear winner? Uh, or, or a clear loser, I think <laughs> yeah. is more the case. Okay. Like, yeah. if, you, if you had a high volume test and it was like, okay, this is like costing us dollars. We, we already know it's awful and it's costing us dollars by the hour. Like, yeah, there's a time when you're just like, okay, that, that bombed. Right. And this, that can happen occasionally with the, the high risk tests. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. But like, um, you know, they, 
the other thing is you start getting like really negative customer feedback or things like that. How quickly? um, I mean, you know, if you see someone pop on social media and they're like, their website's awful, you know, it's like, okay, they took a lot of effort, right? Yeah. So like, there's a certain kind of quality control that you need to, you need to put Mm -hmm. uh, in there. Yeah. The, the other thing that I would say that you can run into is what I consider to be like that false positive scenario where it's like, you're running a test and even if it looks good for like the button click or getting to the next page, everybody that gets to the next page drops off. Mm-hmm. It means you're generally like kind of making a promise that you're not delivering on thereafter. Yeah. Or that there's like a disconnect. Yeah. Like everything looked really cool on this page, yeah. but when you got to the next page, it went back to the old way and mm-hmm. that doesn't work. So you re- you start to realize you're like, I have to redo the whole test to be like, I have to design this page and the pages yeah. thereafter to yeah. kind of continue on the thing. Right. Make sure the next steps are strong enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably be in a pro in like a testing program, different swim lanes sort of. So swim say. lanes? Yeah. So I like that. You're not testing and you're not overriding or going over one other test that might be on another page. Okay. Right. So, you know, you have these defined lanes of what you can test on what pages at mm-hmm. what time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very important. So you don't muddy up your data. Yeah, because you could, then I guess you could like misattribute certain changes to another test if it, they're all intersecting. Yeah. If you're running multiple, could it slow the site down? Um, no, I don't really think okay. it could. It, it's actually more based on like, you know, how big is your experience build, right? Sometimes it's just a quick banner change. Uh, the only like performance towards your website is loading that. Uh, testing library um, to sort of run these tests. Um, yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's very like, it depends. Okay. Um, <laughs> so many things yes. are, it depends. Yeah. But, yes. But I would say when you're running the test, the load that, that how complicated it is, is really confined to the page that you're on, at page one page at a time. So running multiple tests in different sections of a website, don't necessarily have like an impact on performance. What okay. what they do have is more of a disjointed customer experience. Mm. There's an, other factors that you have to think about when you're doing testing of like sometimes moving anything can cause like a slight decrease, even if it's a better design in, in the short term, because people knew exactly where to find it. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. regulars they're the ones impacted mm-hmm. by like, oh my God, but you moved the button from here to there. I experience that all the time visiting <laughs> sites. I'm like, this is smaller and I hate it. I'm upset. Yeah. yeah. Like probably once a day, but, I'm like, something's different. I can't tell what, but I don't like it. There's there's a lot of things that you mentioned like smaller and it's an interesting thing that they would even, you know, make that kind of change because more often than not, I find making things bigger is usually more important than making them smaller. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it is because of how many people doing the design work, like don't think about the fact that like a huge chunk of their audience are in like reading glasses age, mm. you know? And you're kind of like, yeah, just, just, you can't do text that small if that's your audience. Yeah. If, if they have to like, do the little zoom in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, or, you know, there's people are just oblivious to colorblindness and that Mm. can make a big impact for some people, especially if it's invisible, if you're colorblind. Yeah. Um, 
we mentioned, you know, you said like the it depends for like the load yeah. time and stuff. We're talking about all these different things that could come up. Are there any other common caveats that you look to account for when you're establishing a process? Well, one thing that we need to look at or be considerate of is when you're running a test, there's going to be some sort of, you know, flicker, what they say. Flicker. Um, so let's say, you know, basically what the AB testing platform does is it gets loaded on your site and then it will make the changes on the page load of, of that site. So if you're testing something that is high up on the page, there could be a risk of them showing the original control of the banner, say, yeah. and then it might then flicker into the experience. So that's one thing that we need so to consider. Someone would like catch it in real time? Yeah, like, like it's oh. almost like your eye, you know, like, almost caught a frame that it wasn't supposed to see. Ooh, right. I know. Mm. And it's, yeah, that's a common. So, really? So, so I think like what's important to note here is that a lot of the tools like, you know, um, right now there's Optimizely, there's Adobe Target, there's, you know, uh, what is it? V VWO. VWO. There's, uh, there, there's quite a few different platforms out there, but a lot of them use a JavaScript library that mm. basically rewrites the page. And so what it does is it takes pieces out and puts pieces in. The order at which it starts doing its job, in order for this to work, the original page loads, has the library on it. The library then goes and asks, hey, am I in the test or not? It kind of, or it does the decisioning itself. And then it goes and, and makes sure it starts processing its rules to kind of rewrite mm. the page. Mm. So you could see the other page before you see your page. There's a lot of work that's done to try to like, get that code snippet high enough up or possibly even to block drawing the regular page and like have it fade in so that there's like almost like a you know you can catch it before that happens so that you can create a more seamless experience i do want to mention though that there's kind of two other approaches that we run into from time to time that are less common with those libraries okay one is in your content management system you can sometimes set it up where it serves it it just serves a different page and so like your back end of your website might just serve the alternate test page and the only thing that's kind of making that happen is some kind of session variable or cookie and so instead of it redrawing the page using some of these tools like you had to do the hard work on your end setting up mm -hmm. your website or app to kind of like make the two experiences like fully supported pieces and then just use the tool as the decisioning agent. And then the other one that we ran into, which is I think on its way out, but there was a fun tool where something called a regular expression is basically a giant pattern match. And it was in between like the server and your browser. There was like a middle server and so the site would like create the page that it wants to send to you. It would mm -hmm. go through the middle server and then it would rewrite the page. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to you, it was the new page. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the other example that I just described, except this middle layer allowed us to kind of like just throw away whole sections and reduce the page size and streamline it and do like really creative things. And I would say that was probably the most like, uh, it was the the most useful for from production standpoint to get tests out the door and just make big drastic changes. Mm. 
without having to coordinate with like the development release cycle or like, you know, but it also is the one that like we could potentially create, like introduce bugs or issues like right mm. at the front end. Yeah. And it, it was hard to kind of keep the same level of scrutiny because we're just throwing mm. away whole sections of the site on mm. the way out the door. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different options, I guess, like engineering wise, like there's a lot of nuance to it, but you have to look for those issues. Yeah. Right. Definitely takes some technical encoding savvy to mm -hmm. sort of get the experience built out the way you want it to be seamless and sort of, um, you know, be able to fit within the design that is on currently on the page. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. This podcast is powered by Braindew a digital marketing agency that not only provides a diverse mix of services, but offers guidance, experience, and true partnership to bring your business to the next level. This episode is all about analytics, but we also have expertise in web development, organic and paid social, and design, just to name a few. And we've worked with businesses in a variety of industries from small local businesses to Fortune 500 companies. We have experts to help you strategize and execute your digital marketing needs, no matter what step in the process you're at. We're there for you, from wireframes to paid campaigns. Braindo, experts in everything digital. Reach out today to learn more about how we can help your business grow. Now, I have heard Peter refer to Braindo as being platform agnostic, and I, I really like that terminology. <laughs> Can you speak more to that and how you might recommend different platforms to different clients? Uh, being platf platform agnostic means that we work within any type of analytics platform um, and have the expertise within them. So that means it's not just, we are not just a Google shop or not just an Adobe shop. We have skill sets in all of those platforms. Um, what so, are some others other than, I only know Google and Adobe. Are there others? There, there are. There's Mixpanel. There's, um, you know, and there's these like product analytics tools like like Amplitude and, and voice of customer things like Pendo. Like there's a lot of different tools like okay. in the stack that you would use, survey tools. There's all kinds of different tools that you would use to kind of like improve the customer experience or get some uh, tracking done. There's even like operational ones so it goes on and on okay. i think from our perspective it's almost like we don't care what the tool is like we'll look at its capabilities we'll tell you what it can and can't do we can implement the right outputs from it you know we can we can orchestrate that piece we can make the tools do the best they can do and then you know we can make recommendations if this tool is the right fit for that situation with that company at that mm. time Sometimes the company will already have a specific platform and we would have to, you know, learn to uh, work within it. So, okay. you know, expertise within any of those platforms is sort of a requirement here. Mm -hmm. So it's like when we're talking about A-B testing, there are A-B testing tools out there. But then, you know, if a client didn't have anything and for whatever reason couldn't or didn't want to get anything, we can still run an A-B testing program. Like we can still figure out how to write the code to do the audience selection. We can still figure out how to send the data to the regular just clickstream analytics, their, their regular platform. 
with the information about what test you're in or not in. And we can still do the math on the results to figure mm -hmm. out like who the winner is. So from our perspective, when we say we're agnostic, we're like, you got a tool? Great. <laughs> you don't have a tool? Great. Whatever your situation is, we're going to get the job done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of, you know, doing the analytics, doing, get, setting up for analysis, setting up for whatever. If we'll help you get the bare minimum of data collection you need just to get the ball rolling, or we can make recommendations when you're ready to take on a platform. So mm. it's, it's, it allows us to be flexible yeah, and focus sure. more on like, can we put together a good program? Yeah. yeah. And less on like one, the specific nuances of a tool. Cause sometimes these tools they get, I mean, sometimes even like the company, you know, you can get caught up in like one philosophy of how to do things mm. and lose track of like the, what it, the foundation, the, the, mm. the principles behind it. So, I mean, I imagine if people have historical data in one tool analytics, like suite, so to yeah. speak, they're pretty yeah. attached to that. But if yeah. you were like starting fresh mm -hmm. and looking at like GA4, Adobe Analytics, like are there very like obvious specific advantages to one over the other, depending on what you're looking to do? Or is it really down in those nitty gritty details? It changes. Okay. Yeah, Another it depends. <laughs> yeah, I think there are certain needs that a company was, is wanting. And, you know, some certain platforms offer the whole set or, you know, cloud of products that will work together uh, seamlessly. Um, you know, there's other times where, you know, some platforms don't have everything. And that's where we need to try and recommend what the best direction is to take mm. to get the uh, right platform or, you know, uh, to use for them for their best use case, I guess. What would be an example of like a really strong reason why you might guide a client towards, let's say, Adobe Analytics? Let's say they're using Adobe Experience Manager for their content management system. Okay. And, you know, they've, let's say that just the people that they hired, the people on the team that have to do the analysis, already know it. Mm, okay. I'm like, yeah. well, that eliminates a big challenge, mm. you know, to adoption is there's just a comfort level. And, you know, because, and sometimes it's just a matter of like they came from another company and that's what that company is. And okay. so we're kind of like, well, we could try to get you to learn the other one and mm -hmm. translate it for you. But, you know, when if that familiarity and your ability to use this like a power user is like a big card in yeah. favor of, of going in that direction. Cost could be another factor, but oh. it's 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 a complicated, you know, it's a complicated one. Sure. Um, again, some websites are low volume of people or low volume of activity and and high revenue per person mm. and other ones are the opposite where yeah. it's like i need a billion people to make anything mm -hmm. um so it's it's it really depends yeah <laughs> i think the expertise within the platform is very important if you know that certain company has people that know how to use these uh platforms effectively um, that's the easier recommendation to go some of the platforms you know, don't have that specific ability. Like, for instance, I guess but Adobe is a little bit more in a technical sense, I guess. Mm. Yeah. 
I sort of want to retract that, but yeah. Go ahead. It's complicated, yeah. It's yeah, complicated. like, yeah. I don't want to say like Adobe is more geared for like larger volume enterprise companies, I guess, right? Um, Google can sort of be that as well, but I think there is just more products that Adobe offers. So it's not just really? analytics. They have the campaign tool, they have Adobe Target, those all are connected within one experience, okay, like cloud yeah. application. Yeah, it, it is an interesting thing because you're kind of sometimes talking about like the integrated suite. So both, mm. you know, these tool sets have all their partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now I'd say they're the main main two that we come across. Okay. There is Mixpanel. There are some other, you know, again, these other tools that fall in, but from a marketing perspective, like if you're using different Adobe products, it's easier to use Adobe Analytics. Yeah, sure. If you're Google, same thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like switching from one to the other might be a multi-tool conversation. Okay. Yeah. Multi-tool yeah. strategy. Sounds that, very that complicated, sense. actually. Yeah. 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 Like you're very entrenched. Once yeah. you've like made the decision, you just kind of keep I don't want to have like the negative connotation of like digging a deeper hole, but like you are like that's yeah. when you get so we, far in, it's like hard to get out. We do a lot of work, I think, to take the tracking side of it and make that agnostic. So like we kind of create our own version of a, you know, what they call a data layer. But we we kind of take the collection principles and then we translate it into what tools we're sending it to. That means we can switch from one tool to the other or in many companies, for whatever reason, they run both at the same time, mm. because half the users want to use the one tool set and half to use the other. The company's big enough and they have enough money, They it sometimes makes sense. Are there any major discrepancies between the two that might make it hard for them to like communicate to each other? There are. Okay. Um, how they calculate a session is one thing. Okay. Um, you know, in the past there were issues with character counts Mm. I'd say that's still like a thing. It's still an issue, right? Um, how many slots they have to fit information into can be different. And then, you know, there's this whole thing of, um, let's say you had a bug on your page and it caused it to just like hit your analytics tool over and over and over again, like a million times. Like you hit a button and then it's like a loop that just sends a thousand messages. Like they have limits and things built in and those limits are different. And in a long enough session or whatever, like this one hit a limit, but that one didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's like plugins that block tracking tools and analytics tools, some of them more explicitly, some of them more, you know, subtly. So there's a lot of reasons why the numbers <laughs> are going to be different. Why would someone do the block plugin? I would say when it comes to privacy, um, some people, you know, veer on the side of if I don't know, then I just won't let it track. You know, I, like tracking's bad unless I know what it's gonna, what benefit I get for it, right? So it's just like okay. if you think about that, there are, are things like that. There are people with conjecture and ideas about what, you know, that about what these tools do, and it's kind of like how many people answer a survey at the end of a customer experience. You know that they're asking you the survey because they want to make their experience better, but 
you don't necessarily want to give your time up. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have the choice to opt out and yeah. like have to be, and I mean, like this, this yeah. when we're talking about a lot of privacy tools, we're talking about. I mean, a variety of things, but we saw like the massive rise of like VPNs, like that, yeah. that's part of it. I mean, like, and like all the YouTubers with their like massive YouTube analytics that they use to like support yeah. their channel and curate their content or yeah. then like buy a VPN so people can track you. And I always think that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, right. Like, don't you want to know where your people are actually coming from? <laughs> right. Don't yeah. you? Isn't your referral traffic for your audience important? <laughs> right. 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 It's part of the future. I yeah. Mean, they're gonna keep coming up with new ways. You know, once someone does something nefarious, they're gonna come up with new ways to protect people from that. Um, so and then they'll come up with new ways to try to scam around that. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I were to say like without getting too deep into it, like first party data collection is probably gonna be more of the future where we're not using third party tools, Mm -hmm. we're just sending information directly to our own websites so that it's not commingled, there's not a single place to go and track across websites. You know, there's gonna be more of that when it comes to improving your website or app as a product. so I think that's going to play a big role in the future. And you, do you think that's right? Like mostly attributed to what we were talking about with the waves and privacy being more like regulated and um, cracking down on that. Yeah, there, there's a loss of traffic, you know, that we'll see in a client, right? Just because you know people are blocking and you know they don't want to have their information shared. So, you know, a way around that is, you know, doing more first party data collection uh, where, you know, those rules don't, you know, affect that, right? Um, you still want to collect all that, inf- the same information, but it's just not sending to a third party, right? Um, so talking about like a future state, what else do you see maybe coming either quickly or further down the road for A-B testing and analytics? I feel like it's going towards AI and automation and personalization. Um, Setting up your target or your testing platform to be strictly automated, where you don't have to lift a finger to do any changes or optimizations. Uh, AI is going to do all the recommendation for you. Um, Mm. That's where I feel like it's going. It's still in its early stages right now, right? Um, I feel like there are certain requirements for AI to work in this mm-hmm, type of space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For example, you need like good quality data, right? If your yeah. data is not in high quality, you're not gonna, it, the AI is not gonna be effective to mm. pull the different results that it's looking to, to capture. Okay, so like, how do you feel about AI growing in the analytics space? Cause like, we work in like more content creative fields and there's a lot a lot going on in conversation about like ethics with ai kind of taking jobs in that sort of sense or like with copyright issues and things are you like yeah ai will make my job like way easier are you like oh this is kind of like well we are a much more subjective right like Like, it's a different it might be just a whole different vibe i think um you know in in our case if ai is taking 
you know, some of the jobs that are engineering based, it's kind of like, yeah, well, machines took jobs that were human labor. You know, like there's a certain part where that's progress and you're like, those jobs don't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Because you have because you have a you know, a printing press, you shouldn't be hand hand scribing, you know, every single, you know, document anymore. So it's the way that I look at it is like AI is going to do some jobs, like, and it's going to replace some jobs. What it's not going to do, the human element that's going to be there is what to do with it, how to mm. operate it. Those jobs are new jobs that didn't exist before that are going to be there. Where I, I would say the personalization and, and some of these pieces go is that we, we were talking about how to put together testing calendars, how to come up with hypotheses and experiments. But I think what will end up happening is, is that some of the parts of the experience, like some of the font options and things like that will get like very rapidly tested mm-hmm. or we'll try to like guess what might work really well in that scenario or it might notice that like some best practices aren't being followed and try to yeah, make adjustments sure. and test those things out. I think what's going to end up happening is that it's going to mean people are still going to be required to kind of put the constraints in. It's like, I want you to build around this font staying and I want you to build around it this picture staying, but I need you to build around it. Or these color themes, these are our brand guidelines, I need you to build around it. So Mm -hmm. people are gonna have to kind of like curate that experience. Yeah, sure. And then, um, you know, the other part from an analytic standpoint is it's really hard for us to know exactly what version, what flavor, what recipe of of the page someone saw. So we're going to have to find some way to kind of like get the signature of that recipe. And just so that when someone asks us, you know, what's the best version of the page, we can say we can plug in the recipe and say this, this is the, this is the flavor that's that's doing really well. But it does mean it could be dynamic. It could change over time. It could evolve and it could kind of like be a little bit of an always on version of testing. But those big risky tests that you talked about, right? It's probably never going to do that, right? That's okay. going to need people hmm. to do concepting and yeah. ideation work, or even just like approvals, like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. exactly. I so. know um, Andy said that ChatGPT can write code and can write basic websites, so it yes. is kind of like, oh my God, we're here, we're in the future, <laughs> like AI can build a website that yeah. functions. Yeah, yeah, I still think it's at its early stages, right? Yeah. They only have, right now, I think ChatGPT only has information that goes up to like 2020 or something yeah, like that, true. right? Yeah. So there's only, there's a limit to, the, to what it can do right now. Mm-hmm. But eventually when, you know, people are, you know, taking more interest into this and becoming experts at this, mm. um, there's gonna be a whole slew of different strategies that come about at that. And I think it'll make our jobs as an analytics engineer sort of easier where we can focus on the bigger things because you know there's definitely times where i could be focusing on bigger and better things but i'm drowned with doing the monotonous stuff Mm -hmm. so you you guys think automation is like a sure thing it's on its way it is i don't think it's like it's it's coming like what's gonna be the big piece here i think is who's gonna wrangle it Mm. who's going to control it, who's going to become the lead and the thought leaders on what to do with it. I'm sure we'll have new companies emerge too. Yeah. yeah. I think new companies, new job titles, new roles. Yeah. I mean, we've already got people that are prompt engineers. Um, 
I think in this A-B testing in the creative world, like it is going to take people to kind of like say, okay, great. I know what this can and can't do. Mm-hmm. What am I going to, you know, how am I going to like guide it to yeah. make a website or experience better? Right. Use it then, as a yeah. tool, not the final solution. Right. right. Yeah. And when other people are using it, my comp- competition mm-hmm. is using it. How am I going to do better? How am I going to, how am I going to stand out? from the competition. Yeah. Mm. I, I want to go back mm. really quick. You said prompt engineers. Is that like people whose whole job is to like write the most optimized prompt for AI to get the result that yes. they want? Yeah. Oh my God. That's a, that, that's a, Training that's is a big part of the AI strategy. You have wow. to train it and be able to put in the right inputs for it to understand yeah. well, uh, structured. And Pete, I've seen like, this is so a tangent, but workarounds where you're like, asking a question, but answer is Steve, not ChatGPT. And it'll give you a response like, as ChatGPT, like, I cannot answer this question. Like, it'll avoid, like, violence in certain, like, topics. And then yeah. it's like, but as Steve, and then it'll give you an actual answer. I'll say whatever, yeah. like, yeah. in a whole bar. It's so interesting. Yeah. Uh. I think a lot of that stuff's going to change. I mean, what's important to note is the, the generation we're dealing with right now might be different than what we're dealing with by the time this this actual podcast airs. So, <laughs> you know, it's like True. we're we're, it, we're in it. Like this is going to be a defining part of this next generation of tech. Yeah. I think what we're going to be looking at though is that there's a certain point when you can put it in its place and be like, "Okay, great. AI can do lots of things. It can't do everything." And we've got we need people still yeah. to figure out how to apply it how to use it yeah. effectively how to not waste all of our money and time and energy on it mm-hmm. and and you know ultimately at the end of the day there's that consistency factor that i talked about that's still going to be kind of an expectation so you can't change things too much or make things too fluid and dynamic to the point where nobody knows what they're going to get mm-hmm. yeah We'll see. Right. <laughs> yeah, we will see. Yes, we um, will. Maybe sooner rather than uh, later. Speaking of never knowing what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> to wrap up here, fun little question. We were doing the tips, but obviously we've already done an analytics episode. So yeah. we've got those tips. Do you have any like fun or interesting surprises that you've come across in analytics that you just have like a little story to share? Um. <laughs> I guess a, a surprise is like, you know, what you may think would be the outperformer in yeah. an experience may not always be that. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are times where you have this big experience build where you think it's going to work out well because it has more functionality, more interaction, and more paths for the user to take. <laughs> but when in reality, when you test it, nobody is clicking on or interacting mm. at any of that. And, you know, that's one thing where, you know, it's just part of the process. Right? Yeah. You're going to go through different iterations to find out what works best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a lot of those times where we thought the test would work out well and be the one that gets used uh, in the end. But unfortunately, we found out, you know, through testing that it perform poorly yeah <laughs> and people like, are like i don't want options yeah right. no I change like keep it simple please um, that's usually you know it sort of hurts the person <laughs> building and, and or, yeah conceptualizing all on that specific test and experience yeah um, they but hate it the reverse yeah. side of it is 
when you do build something and then it is successful and then it gets placed on the website and it's there, you know, because of what you've tested, you know, that's a good feeling to have. Yeah, of course. Accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, one thing that's, you know, a common thing that we find is taking things away from a page usually means what's left is what people do. Um, but I would say occasionally giving people like second options steers them in the direction to do the thing that you want them to do. So it's mm. like presenting, you know, th there've always been like, there's historically been tests where it's like you present people three different options, one that's below what they want, one that's in the middle, which is actually the one you want them to take, sure. and one that's like more expensive. Um, right. And, you know, but you do find sometimes that it's like even your higher end one, like maybe you need one tier above that. Like, mm. you, you know, you, you didn't get, you didn't get the ratio right. Um, I've run into issues where it's like once we presented multiple options, we actually got more people to pick. Um, other cases, you know, it's the opposite. It's like you're just picking between an option or not. So uh, those are those ones are always like a we think it's going to go one way, and we end up finding yeah, there's another way. Like the the threading the needle of like decision fatigue and but i want choices like right. mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. a consumer yep exactly <laughs> exactly the other one is like old school sales letters and things that you think shouldn't work anymore mm -hmm. work i just thought <laughs> i i got salesmen very recently and yeah. you would never think that would happen i I'm usually very good at avoiding like sales letters and salespeople, but they right. caught me and then I ended up with the whole thing and and everybody's seen those templates online of these like super long form that's <laughs> like black text with red buttons and yellow highlighter like nonsense sales letters and you know they just picked it off of like a template somewhere yeah. and filled it in where they've done like long drawn out videos keep hinting at something that they're going to share with you like 30 minutes in and you're like you're literally trying to waste a half an hour of my time in a sales pitch there are all of these like <laughs> sales tactics yeah it's like just... And you're just like and the worst part is when you look at some of the analytics you're like ah, it worked it worked but it hurts it hurts mm. that it works like i don't want it to work yeah. people stop <laughs> responding to this they're like if Make i the hit the buy better. now button yeah. this long annoying speech will go away all right yeah or they might not even present the special offer until the end and you're mm -hmm. just like oh my god so i think that'll about do it for this episode of the marketing roundtable podcast with our analytics experts brian cosgrove peter song thank you for being here and joining us for this episode. It was really fun to have. I know we did you and Andy with like two sides of the same yeah. team with website builds. It was really fun, I think, to have two members of the same team kind of talk to us about analytics. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having us. So you can find us online at brain.do. You can find all of our socials are also brain.do. Look us up if you need analytics help or any other kind of digital marketing solution. Check out our services. And we will see you next time on The, the Roundtable. Table.